Welcome to the Be Real Podcast. I'm Diana Gasparoni. I'm a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her Programs. I am Ednisha Salisbury. I am a therapist, speaker, trainer, and co-creator of Black Woman Be Whole. Each week, we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We give you tips and insights to taking the next steps. If you have already gotten into the door, we'll get you to go a little deeper. Each week, we're going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions and reminding you that you are not alone. Mental wellness is our passion. We practice what we preach. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content and leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together, lay back on the couch and get real. Oh my God, we're back again this week. The takeover is still being taken over. Um, so Ednisha, I am here. Markia is still here with me. Kim is here. Another week doing the podcast together. How's it going, ladies? What, what's new in the pandemic? Um, it's still panning out here. Um, you know, people getting vaccines and still trying to social distance and, you know, just trying to make it in the house cooking. <laughs> okay. What about you, Kim? Um, I got a bang. I got a, I got a haircut. So my cousin gave me a bang, gave me a little more youthful look. So ready to be a cougar y'all. What's up? Now I can Uh trick them because you know, (laughs) covering the grays. What's up? Okay, wait, 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 let's go. You back. got a bang? I got a bang. Okay. okay. I need to hear more about the cougar. Like that's what I want to hear about. I like the bang. It's cool. But um, so is the bang so you look more youthful and that you um can, you know, entice a younger fellow? Like how young are we talking, Kim? I'm not sure yet because <laughs> full disclosure, you know, I've got daddy issues and I've always dated older men. So as I'm getting older, I'm realizing that that number is going to be really high. So I do not want to be dating someone who's getting a social security check and I need to come to grips with that. So shifting like my relationship needs and figuring that out are going to be a very interesting exercise for me. Um, I'm assuming that I'm going to have to be a cougar because, you know, somebody in their 30s, mid 30s or whatever. I don't want to go too far because I am definitely not up on current events and I don't believe that we'll have. things in common. So if they're much younger, so that's where I am. I'm thinking about it 10 years out on each side and that might work for me. You know, I think that that's a great thing that we should probably address on the podcast when we release it. You know, we have our first episode coming out on March 3rd. Oh yeah. March 3rd. That's when we drop it. (laughs) But we can definitely um, consider having that as a topic because I think relationships are so important, right? Like how they've evolved, maybe even how the pandemic has impacted them, but also just like where we're at in our lives, right? I think we both have, we all have three different stories to talk about. So maybe it's a segue into the podcast. Ladies, what do you think? I think that that would be good. I I will say in the beginning of the pandemic, I was super professional, right? Like I I was still chill on the bottom, right? But like I had a nice blouse on, you know, my hair was always done. The makeup was always going. Now I show up for my therapy sessions in a hoodie and it was just like, yeah, it's cold outside now. And we've been knowing each other long enough 
that, you know, things can, you know, don't have to be too, so, so business-like. I can, I can come through with a hoodie on it and, and feel comfortable. So, so that's been really nice. Um, but I've been investing in like joggers, like sweatpants. I got like cute leggings now. That's all I go to the store and buy. Cause I'm just all about comfort. So that's like the biggest change for me during the pandemic is like comfort has become the priority in ways that it was not before. Cause I'm a girl who wears like stilettos and stuff and pumps all the time. So comfort, comfort, comfort. Now, did you get any She by Sheree joggers by chance? Do they cause those I don't know come they yet? exist. So Summer, like, fall, spring? Okay. I'm doing the ultimate comfort. Like bras are not a thing for me anymore. So and I'm wearing the big drawers because I just need comfort. Like, what is up? Like, I'm feeling really comfortable, sometimes too comfortable. So I'm kind of nervous about what's going to happen after the pandemic because some things I got used to, it's like, that's not going to work when you go outside. Like, you can't have the, the, the girls going out there looking at, you know, the ground or whatever, or just just hanging. You know, <laughs> you teddy sweat is the worst, the man. It's the worse the granny panties and the young dudes that's not gonna be a good mix i just want to let you know so you better figure that out asap okay it's just it's for comfort because i'm sitting a lot so okay okay i don't know how i don't know how people wear thongs i hope y'all not wearing thongs just sitting around all day because something up your butt all day i I think i love thongs they're my (laughs) favorite I would just be like there's something on my butt like i can't think right now i'm in a meeting like what is happening this is too much. <laughs> so Marquia, what's changed for you in this pandemic? What's um, different? I definitely just kind of stay in the house. Like I'm, I think I've mentioned before, like I You're used mandated to, be, to stay in that. No, I'm sorry. Right. Pretty much. <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Like, you know, some people like to be like, oh, let's go to eat. And I'm like, with other people around, <laughs> is it actually six feet? Um, but I definitely have found like a lot more solace in my home before I used to feel trapped. I don't think Mm -hmm. I feel as trapped anymore. I do miss being able to go to the bar. Like there are some Friday nights. I'm like, you know what I would like to do (laughs) go to the bar and have a stranger buy me a free drink. Um, okay. (laughs) But the things on the glass. Sounds like a lifetime movie. movie. (laughs) No, no, I'm here to tell the story girl. So, you know, nothing too risky has occurred (laughs) to date. Um, but yes, I do miss that, but I'm also getting more into like cooking and having a good time with that and exploring different things. I bought myself some lobster tails this week. So that was great. Um, you know, that and just my workouts and preparing to wear my Ivy Park when outside opens. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I heard you say cooking. And so really quick, um, my girlfriend Chanel, she gifted me like a box. Ooh. And so I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, oh, you don't have to sign up for anything. You can just kind of like take your box and go. So of course I'm like, finally, I'm like, okay. Cause you know, I'm, I don't cook as much as I would like to, or I guess my partner would like me to. I think that's really what I should say. But so I sign up and you know, they only charge you for like shipping and I'm like, all right, cool. And then after I sign up, they go to the next page and they're like, oh, so then the delivery after this week, I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Who said that I was on auto subscription? I said, I thought that I didn't have to, you know, sign up for anything. They completely signed me up as soon as they got my credit card. I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. It may be beneficial, but I was never asked if I wanted to continue. But we'll see if um, this might be fun times with me and the hubby just kind of cooking at night, you know, 
something quick. So so we'll see. But I didn't appreciate that they um, signed me up for an auto subscription. That's the trickery um, right there. Listen, that's the <laughs> pandemic. Everybody's trying to get over. We're not ordering seamless. I'm like, I could walk to go get this and save myself 18 damn dollars that you're charging me in fees and like delivery, like service charges. I was like, okay, no, it's cold. Just get up and go because you can save yourself $18. I'm still in that mind frame because, you know, it's a lot of money and it's like three things and damn, that's $60. What are you talking about? And it's in all the fees. So no, I agree with that. That's make their money, thinking. get their coins during the pandemic because people are hurting. So I think yeah. it is um, very interesting. I'm not cooking as much because that's not what I do. I do like, I've, I've done very like, kind of like simple things. Like I'm going to have some oatmeal in the morning. Then I'm going to have this thing, like a salad and maybe like two veggie burgers. Then for dinner, I'm going to have half a quarter of roasted chicken and another salad. Like I have become very regimented about what I do because I do not want to put any thought in those kind of things because mm-hmm. It, I can be indecisive, right? Paralysis, paralysis by analysis. And so I have to be very um, clear about what I'm going to do during the day. So thinking that through has been interesting. Well, indoor dining is opening back up in New York City next week. So I, um, I'm happy for the people who want to go on a date. Like, listen, we got indoor dining back. So this is a good thing. I don't have to take, they don't have to take people home right now. They can actually meet for dinner outside of the home and no, not worry about having first them. date sex. <laughs> you risking your life with right. some mediocre food and possibly some mediocre peen. You got to think it through, girl. Think it through. Is it worth it? I so, um, I think that this is definitely something that we're going to be talking about on our Black Women Be Whole podcast, which is dropping on March 3rd. Relationships March 3rd. after the pandemic in the pandemic. So I'm going to throw it to you, Marquia, because you can introduce our guest for the day. Awesome. So our guest today is actually one of my really good friends. Her name is Anzala Alozi. Um, and Anzala is amazing on so many levels. Currently, she is working in two executive roles. She's the executive director at the Women of Color Network, which is the oldest organization dedicated to supporting women of color that are dealing with intimate partner violence, as well as an executive director at the Capital District YMCA, and she is over all of their youth programming. So she's doing both of these executive level jobs. She's touching lives on the adult spectrum, on the child spectrum. And then also she's a mom and she has four kids and all of them I love. Hello to our babies if they're listening. Um, But we definitely have a really great um, conversation with Anzala that gives you some really great insight and in-depth analysis on how to support someone dealing with intimate partner violence, or if you are dealing with it, how you can get that support. So we hope you enjoy our show. That's right. Sit back, relax. Like Diana would say, grab your tea, have a listen. Or some wine. (laughs) As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy. And if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. BeWell is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, BeWell offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, 
visit bewellpsychotherapy.com or text bewell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's bewellpsychotherapy.com or text bewell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. So we are back this week on Be Real, but of course with a twist. With the Black Woman Be Whole Takeover, we are back again this week. Last week was a doozy that we talked about. And so let me introduce my co-host for the day. We have an amazing guest. We're super excited about being together on a Friday morning. So um, my first (laughs) co-host is Kim Moore, who is the uh, second half of the creation of Black Woman Be Whole. Kim, why don't you say hi to everyone? Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. I love that we're doing this. So let's get it. So we hope you guys are listening on a Friday. If not, like happy. (laughs) And our other uh, co-host, Markia Farmer. Hi, everyone. Happy whatever day you're listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, you know what, Markia? Why don't you introduce our guest since she is a friend of yours um, and to let all of the listeners know yeah, this is Be Real. It's a, got a little bit of flavor from Black Woman Be Whole, which will be dropping March 3rd. And so we are super excited to be dropping our own podcast. But right now, it's the takeover. So Marquia, why don't you um, introduce Anzala? Awesome. So everyone, this is my friend Anzala. Um, Anzala and I have known each other for about 10 years, would you say, Anz? Um, yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, we met um, doing Zba. Um, she was the instructor that I went to and I enjoyed her classes. They're very high intensity. Don't ever let anyone tell you Zumba is not a workout. Um, she will definitely have you gasping for air. <laughs> but it was so fun. I loved her energy. And, you know, from then we've just, you know, grown really close. And she does amazing things um, in our local community in the Capital District of Upstate New York. It's my friend. I get to be like to her kids. And she's just like so phenomenal. I'm so lucky to have access to her. She's currently um, working two executives roles for the Capital District YMCA. She's over all of their youth development programming. So she's definitely having an impact on youth, as well as the executive director of the Women of Color Network, um, which is the oldest organization dealing with domestic violence as it impacts of color. So today, my dear friend is going to talk to us about, you know, domestic violence in our community and, you know, how we can support those around us to spot those signs. So thanks for coming on. You're so welcome. And thanks so much for the invitation to join you. It sounds like uh, it's going to be a very good time uh, today. And, uh, you know, it's my honor to join you. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about you, Anzala, before we kind of jump in. Sure. So again, my name is Anzala Alozi. Um, I do reside in upstate New York, capital whoop, district. Whoop. <laughs> cold, cold, cold upstate New York. <laughs> I've been uh, in this area for about 20 years. I initially came up here for law school a long time ago. Um, So by way of background and profession, I am a lawyer and my practice really centered around uh, immigration law and uh, representing survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault uh, with federal law. Sort of transitioned that work into my love of nonprofit and community transformation, Uh, worked with Girl Scouts as well as um, the YMCA, so two relatively uh, international and globally impacting uh, organizations and, you know, have always had a focus on 
women's empowerment and transformation, and as well as the youth. As well, I'm a Zumba instructor. So that's my self-care methodology. And I figured I could keep myself accountable by having to show up and instruct the class. So it's been about 10 years of, of doing Zumba as well. I really want to jump in with this because at Black Women Behold, we are really big on sisterhood. So I would love for you and Marquia to just kind of take a moment to talk about that sisterhood and how that was created. Anzala, do you want to speak about that a little bit? So I will first say for me, sisterhood has uh, been a core part of my life. I biologically have three brothers, so I didn't grow up with sisters. I have two brothers who are older, one uh, who is exactly one year older. We were born on the same day, one minute apart, one year apart. And I have a younger brother who's two years, but they all think that they're my older brothers. So I did not grow up with blood relative sisters, but sisterhood has always been sort of an enigma to me. And as I got older, recognizing the value, what I did see um, was the strong cultivation of friendships uh, that my mother had. And, you know, that's how sisterhood became very important to me. Even though I didn't have biological sisters, uh, I was able to really form some really strong relationship. Marquis and I met under the guise of Zumba about 10 years ago. And, you know, she was participating in classes. And, you know, today marks a very special day because today we are celebrating our ninth annual Go Red for Women, uh, for Women's Heart Health, uh, in collaboration with the American Heart Association, Go Red for Women Day. And, you know, about nine years ago, we decided to um, come together and offer what we call a Zumbathon, which is, you know, a dance marathon. And the event, our first event was a huge success. We probably had about 70 women from the community come and join us and dance for two straight hours. And it what has the grown. Heck? <laughs> yes. I think we give what, what, like 15 minute break, Marquia? Yeah, like a 15 minute break. And again, remember, this woman here <laughs> is out here trying to kill you. <laughs> so you're in there like, <sighs> and they're like, oh, when is the break? <laughs> Angela so said, I got to keep it tight over there. That's a lot. Listen. Listen, <laughs> we have a lot to do in a short period of time. But, you know, that first event was so impactful because one, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, we're, we're focusing on, you know, women's heart health, which is a leading cause for women, you know, ages, what is it, I believe, 25 to 45, you know, unsuspecting. We wouldn't think that heart disease would be a major issue for women of this age range. So um, we watched this, this event grow, annual, you know, our annual event grow. And we started to also merge with um, some other community partners. So, you know, again, our first event, we had 70 women that were like, hey, we're here, we're here to dance. And we had a good time. And it is now, this is year nine. Can you believe it, Marquia? It's year nine. It's a long time, girl. It's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that the two of you have met through Zumba, you know, yeah. and it's kind of different because how me and Anisha met, Angela, I, I don't know if you know this, but me and Anisha went to high school together. Um, and so we are our friend, but our friendship started four years after that. <laughs> the story of us is very interesting. Like our four years in high school predates like our friendship that started in college. And so, you know, that sisterhood that you're talking about, I think um, we've started to do more of that as we've, you know, gotten older, grown together, experienced things together. Like you, like I have two brothers, right? I'm the middle child, older brother nine years older than me, younger brother, nine years younger than me. So Beverly did lots of great birth spacing uh, with her kids. <laughs> not having sisters in that sense of, you know, in a 
and learning how to be a sister or a friend to right. each other. We've had to discover that, you know, because she came with her stuff being seven kids, big family. I came with my stuff and you just sort of like find each other in the things that you enjoy. So absolutely I love that story of sisterhood with you and Marquia, because I think it, it's it's the kind of story that all women want to have with like their friends. Like we had this thing. Yeah. Right. And, and it's I, that, like that one thing that brings you together. Right. But then it starts to transcend into all these different other areas of your life where you have this unwavering support. And that has definitely been Marquia over the years. And I get to be the lit auntie. So it's always fun. Um, her kids think <laughs> I'm the cool auntie. So, you know, you're just also... out there giving them sugar. Like now go home to your <laughs> no, mother. No, no sugar. I don't do sugar. But, you know, Listen, I definitely... it's a whole bunch of other things. Like, I enable in other ways. Pizza. <laughs> yeah, she enables by giving them the dinners of their choice. <laughs> I do want to point out that so many friendships are born through like high school or college and sometimes like work. And sometimes people I've heard the term like no new friends. So I love that you guys didn't meet, you know, at those kind of milestone places you met maybe like later on in life, but we're still able to kind of have that bond and see each other as sisters. And so I think it just goes to show that it doesn't matter like where you met sometimes and it doesn't matter when in your life that you met, you can still meet amazing women and have amazing friends at any point. You can be 50, 60. And I think that that's really what we want people to know that you can really create this sisterhood at any point, as long as you are open. So absolutely, you guys were open to that, right? Like, oh, right. I met this really cool, you know, Zoom instructor. Like, I, I mean, I've met women. I'd be like, I want to be your friend. It's, it's so weird to say that to women. I, I, you know, it I feels awkward. Them. Like, am I asking you out? Like, what is this? Does it really? Yeah. <laughs> It I'm feels such a, like I'm yeah, such a like weirdo. Projection. I'm like, hey, I want to be your friend. Let's be friends. I mean, Anisha, that's how we met, girl. I was like, I hello. Know. I You're put gonna on be a piece therapist. of paper. I said to her, she's my coworker. I was like, can we be friends? Yes, no, maybe. And I put it under her door of her office. And she was like, oh my God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's weird, but funny. <laughs> but Anisha, that is that is exactly right is you know the willingness and being open to connect in a real and authentic way right because you know we think about it we think we you know we carry the same friends from when we're you know younger mm -hmm. or you know I'm again I'm in a sorority I'm part of a, a Jack and Jill which is a mother's organization so I have all these other outlets that naturally create opportunities you know, to connect with other women, but, you know, just in our everyday experiences are the things that we love to do, whether it's going to a coffee shop and getting your, you know, espresso or working out like Zumba, you know, you, you run into people whose energy is aligned with yours and you have to be open to say, Hey, you know, I see something in you, you see something in me, let's connect. And we can, we can absolutely build a friendship at any, at any stage in our life. And I'll definitely um, co-sign with Anzala. I think also a beautiful thing is that the universe gives you people when you need them, right? So like they placed Anzala in my life and I was just like, oh, she's just going to be my Zumba friend. But as I've like gotten older and like, I've gone through like some really like tough shit she's definitely been a constant and has always just been like there and been very supportive and like has seen different iterations of me and just been like it's okay to like change so you know being open to that placement and just making sure that this person is there to you know change and support you through it it's really dope and thank you Marquia for bringing Anzala on to this you know episode with us so I think let's you know Anzala you talked a little bit about it in terms of the work that you've done but like as you know mental health advocates who focus on mental and emotional health of black women you know can you talk a little bit about the work that you do with the New York State Coalition Against Domestic Violence and why did you get into this work? 
So that was actually one of my very early roles in working um, with domestic violence, uh, our state coalition. So that was probably, eh, that was about 18 years ago because my eldest son is 18. Um, so currently I'm, I'm a, um, working with the National Women of Color Network, which is a national organization that provides support and resources and policy for women of color survivors of intimate partner violence and sexual assault, as well as av women of color advocates. So the advocates and leaders that are working to end violence against women. I drew into that work from very personal experience. Um, I, you know, my mom and was, is a, is a survivor of domestic violence. And I knew, you know, growing up in a household where there was, you know, intimate partner violence, that it wasn't healthy and it really shaped um, a lot of who I am as a person and my interest in terms of helping women facilitate, find healing and resources and spaces to flourish and to really also um, call attention to gender-based violence, right? So we'll, we'll probably dive deeper into that in, in just a bit, but you know what we're really talking about is gender-based violence and the systems and mindsets and philosophies that uphold how violence is perpetuated against women in particular. So that was, you know, my personal motivation was that, okay, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, you know, work on as many fronts as possible to really end violence against women and girls. So like my life path has taken me through a lot of different iterations, but it was always with that underpinning. Wow. I mean, you bringing that up, thank you for telling your story. I think a lot of times you know, there's shame in telling stories about trauma. And, you know, when we talk about healing through truth telling, you've got to tell the truth. So okay. I think um, I'm going to share a story because it, it has really impacted me uh, throughout my life. And when I was thinking about this topic, I was like, I have to tell it because it doesn't make any sense for me to not because it was 30 years ago, right? Like when I was young, I had a cousin who was, um, she was a teenager. So she was a couple of years older than me. She's like 10 years older than me. So I was very young and she was in a, a domestic violence, a gender-based violence, a relationship, teen violence. I saw her get hit like by her boyfriend and no one stopped it. No one said anything. It was just really bizarre. And I realized I was like, I was really scared of him every time. Like she still brought me around because, you know, she was babysitting me. So I'll go up to my boyfriends. I'm like, oh, you know, as a kid, you don't know what those weird feelings are, but it had escalated to a point where my cousin's brother intervened and my cousin's brother, also my cousin, got into an altercation with her boyfriend and her boyfriend shot him. And me and my other younger cousin witnessed my cousin's brother being shot by her boyfriend mm. and he was shot in his stomach. And mm. somehow or another, he made it to the hospital on his own because he would have died. Oh my right. God, I'm getting like really emotional just thinking about that. And it's so weird because I was talking to my cousin about it. Like, do you remember this? She said, yes, I remember this because it was so traumatic. Like to see like someone shoot your family member who was trying to protect his sister right. and then to witness it at a certain, at a young age. And then you have no one talking to you about it. Right. So we were like running and screaming like, oh my God, you know, Derek shot Derek, ah, you know. And they couldn't find him because he took himself to the hospital. So it was just like a very traumatic thing. And it, I don't think like there was enough um, support, like people blame my cousin. And it's like, mm -hmm. he's not responsible for someone's behavior. Absolutely. You know? And then so it just was there. And no one talked to me and my other cousin who were like young girls, like 
hey, so something has happened and you don't know how to deal with this. And so it just was like, shove it down, be quiet about it. Don't tell anyone anything. And it was just like really hushed. And the, and I blame all the adults for not talking to the kids at the time, because it was just a really traumatic thing to witness. Right. So I had to tell that because it, it, it's something that's sort of impacted, like how I am in relationships also as an adult. Right. Absolutely. And Kim, thank you so much for sharing that because you really touched upon so many critical issues and the layers, um, sort of the insidiousness of experiencing the violence, but also the trauma, right? So there's a trauma um, of sort of the visual experience if you're witnessing it and it isn't just the person whom the violence is, the physical violence may be inflicted on. It is anyone that's surrounding and it's also you know, a term you probably, vicarious, it's the vicarious trauma. Someone's telling you a story about that, you know, we're human beings, we feel, and um, hopefully we never get to the point where we are desensitized to, oh, it's just another story, right? So we're impacted by what we see, we're impacted by the stories that we hear, and then also the experiences of whomever is in that relationship. But, you know, I wanted to, to go back to a couple of the things that you raised that we don't have the conversations about it. We're not talking about that trauma, right? The, the very immediate trauma of it. And then also the long-term, you know, trying to make sense of, because you can't make sense of it, right? But, you know, we have to be able to wrestle with our feelings and heal from those experiences, but then also the victim blaming, you know, and that's one of the challenges. And you'll probably see in, in terms of the anti-violence against women movement, some of the language changes from domestic violence to intimate partner violence, because once we say domestic violence, people think, okay, that's personal. That's between those two individuals. And that's not for us to comment on. They're choosing to be in that relationship the victim is allowing it. They're not taking any action. So there's this whole victim blaming piece that goes along with it. And uh, then there's the shame. And especially for young children or even young adults and teens, especially I work with young people. So, you know, some of the, the, the stories and experiences they share with me, you know, they're, they're wrestling with their own development. They're young people, right? So, and then now you have this additional layer of them trying to process, you know, what is happening inside of a relationship that they are in or trying to get out of and end. And we're just not having those conversations, especially, you know, as a culture, we don't have those kind, kinds of conversations. And um, I think that is, you know, the key point. And I'm glad that you said, hey, the adults are responsible, but also because of sort of the historical lens of domestic violence, even a Adults. Nobody wants to get involved in someone else's relationship, right? Unless you feel like there's this immediate need for either self-defense or defending an individual, a family member, or even, you know, a stranger that might be in close proximity to you. You know, you probably are seeing the news with there, you know, some incidents happening and these incidents are always happening, but with our use of technology now, things are being recorded in ways like never before, but there was just an incident a couple of days ago in Harlem where a woman was, you know, she was accosted by a man and then, you know, she went and, and got her family member and, you know, the guy that actually assaulted her, sexually assaulted her, shot both of them. So, you know, these incidents happen. Are we having the conversations? Are we really calling it what it is? 
and, and we can link this back to sisterhood at some point where, you know, having key relationships in our lives where we can be honest and share what we're experiencing or even what survivors are experiencing, even in the midst of going through the relationship and the violence, you know, how do you, how, what supports are there? And, you know, how can we make sure that we're not blaming victims for the actions and behaviors of another individual? You know, it's so funny, Angela. I live six blocks away from that and where that incident occurred. And so I didn't know what was going on. I think I was outside going to the supermarket. So I knew there was something happening because there's just a lot of like energy around, you know, a few blocks away. So I definitely know that story that you're referring to. I think a big part of this is the acknowledgement. And I think first the acknowledgement of trauma. I think a lot of times we only view certain things as traumatic. And I think that a lot of times in the Black community, we don't view our experiences as trauma and others don't view our experiences as trauma. However, we are forever changed by them. Listening to Kim, I can hear she's been forever changed by this. She's done a good job to kind of push it down, right? And not kind of think about it. And then when the topic comes up, you know, here are all the emotions coming back. Before the episode, I was looking at some statistics. So um, I really want to bring them to light as we kind of continue to frame this conversation. So more than 40% of Black women will experience um, intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Um, 54% of Black women experience psychological abuse. 41% experience physical abuse. And we are two times more likely to be murdered by men than white women. Right. Um, and I think what we are not out here discussing is that it's the number one health issue facing Black women. It is an epidemic, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is something that we have to talk about. And also it's an epidemic within a pandemic. I do want us to take a commercial break, but when we get back, I really want to discuss how this being such a, such a huge epidemic is actually occurring within the pandemic. And maybe Angela, you can talk possibly about the uptick, which I've recognized too in intimate partner um, violence since COVID started. So guys, we're gonna take a small break and then we will be right back to continue to discuss. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy. And if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. Be Well is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, Be Well offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L, to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. So we are back. And before break, we kind of talked about how this is the number one health issue facing Black women, um, this epidemic within a pandemic. And so we are out here suffering in silence. So Anzala, can you speak to maybe if you've seen an uptick in cases since COVID has begun? 
Yes, thank you so much for for uh, bringing attention to that. So I think some key things to remember is that, you know, we are in the midst of a global health pandemic, which has required um, social distancing and social engagement restrictions, people's normal way of lives and uh, outlets has been heavily restricted all across our country for sure. But at the same time, um, we are experiencing a race uh, pandemic. We're looking at uh, social injustice and social inequities, broad-based across the board. Resources are slim for everyone, um, but we know that you know Black women are mostly impacted and and more heavily impacted when you have all of these factors. There has been a uh, a huge uptick, especially in New York State. Uh, in particular, all across the country, all of the hotlines, all of the resources, um, the domestic violence shelters. And then, you know, we also have to think about how uh, traditional or usual support systems. So I'm going to leave if, if, you know, um, an abuser, uh, the survivor are living in a shared space, you know, we have to now think about the family and friends or sister friends that they would used to be able to go somewhere else, even for a respite, even for a moment away, that those restrictions now limit those options and opportunities to connect with other people um, because of this this health pandemic. So New York State um, has absolutely seen an increase in reporting, which if we know that we're seeing an uptick, it's still only the tip of the iceberg, right? Because, um, you know, for every, you know, call that is received, you know, there are probably about 10 that aren't being received. And, uh, you know, I think also we have to think about how we are processing our experiences as we are surviving um, a global health pandemic. And, you know, is, is this the most pressing issue? Are people going to believe me? Is this even a priority? I think the, the points of how to navigate this time and space, especially for um, those experiencing intimate partner violence, you know, if you had to, to base it on a broad-based broad scale, we're talking about hunger. We're talking about food insecurity. We're talking about unemployment. We're not talking about intimate partner violence and sexual assault. No, I think that's true. Um, and I think also like, it's tough, like, especially if you're like oh, someone that's trying to support someone through one of those situations, right? Especially like COVID, like people can't get out of it. Um, I had a friend that was in a um, intimate partner violent situation and it was really tough to stand by. And at this point, you know, outside was open, but it's still the conditioning of, you know, her not wanting to leave, you know, we had went out one night, she came home, he was upset, he hit her in the face with her phone, um, and broke the phone as well. Um, she had black eyes, she sent me a picture of it, um, told me that, you know, he blamed me for it, because I shouldn't have had her outside. Um, also choked her. That was a thing, like he tried to strangle her. And as you all may or may not know with you know strangulation the effects could happen later on like something could happen later on and she could have you know died in her sleep like those are the type of things that was going on um so at that point you know it was great that she felt comfortable telling me that stuff but then it became like a weekly situation of oh he hit me today or oh this is happening and they had a child together um and she wanted to leave but she couldn't 
or wouldn't, I don't know, I guess couldn't, right, is the better phrasing for it. Um, and it went on for like a good year and, it, and he had been hitting her before she disclosed that to me. And then I guess my question to you, Ansela, is, you know, doing this work is like as someone that's a friend with someone going through that, how do you support them? Because there is a point where you feel helpless, right? You see this thing, you don't want to not answer the phone for your friend, but at the same token, it feels like they're not listening to you or they're not willing to take their advice, the advice that you're offering them. So how do you support them through that? Yeah, that is um, one of the most important questions, Marquia, and thank you for asking it. So, you know, our immediate inclination when someone, you know, calls for help, we want to help them solve the problem, right? And especially when it comes to, um, to violence being inflicted or harm being inflicted upon them. So we say, oh, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just, you know, end the relationship, get out of there, you know, go somewhere else. And, you know, one of the, there are two points to that, and, and it should be noted that, the risk and rates of a fatality increases every single time a survivor tries to end or leave the relationship. So that's something that we have to keep in mind, right? So it isn't as simple as saying, just end the relationship, you should be able to leave, just go somewhere else. So when we're thinking about how we support someone, um, our friend especially, we want to be saying things about, okay, how can we, what we would call safety plan, within the context of everything that you know. Because again, we have to remember that if someone came to you and shared this much with you, it's again, the tip of the iceberg. They most likely are not sharing all of the different dynamics and all of the threats that may have been leveled against them or all of the potential harm that could result of making one uh, choice to either leave, um, go stay somewhere else, not answer the phone, whatever the case may be. we have to reframe the way we think about what support means to someone, right? So we feel like, you know, they are not being responsive to the help that they're requesting, but your support and your consistency in number one, believing what they're sharing with you, assuring them that it is not their fault. They are not responsible for the behavior of another individual, another person that is choosing to inflict harm against them, whether it's physical violence or psychological, financial, sexual, whatever you know, form it is. So um, being consistent and being there and then also believing them. But then the third level is safety planning within the context of what they feel that they can do as the immediate next steps, right? So again, we'd say pack a bag, let's go, you know, you can come stay here. Well, then, you know, what are the potential uh, consequences of that? So instead of that, I think it's just asking the question, how can I assist you? How can I support you? Sometimes just listening and believing will um, help support the individual into taking that very next step, which is maybe reaching out for, you know, assistance in terms of uh, an order of protection or, you know, seek some remedy in our criminal justice system, which I know we're going to talk about that in terms of, you know, our communities. But, you know, that consistency of answering that phone, even though it's like, well, we've been having this conversation every week and every week you're telling me that this person is harming you in this way. Now I feel helpless. I feel like you're not, you know, taking any action steps to help change the situation for yourself. I think we have to reshift the way that we approach that and prioritize their um, emotional wellness and their ability to trust and 
rely and depend on you being a consistent support for them, whatever it may look like, because it will change, you know, from day to day. It may be one day, you know, can you help me, you know, connect to an advocate, you know, domestic violence uh, or intimate partner advocate or a sexual assault counselor. Maybe it is connecting them um, with some kind of service, or maybe it is, you know, uh, connecting them with uh, law enforcement and, you know, getting an order of protection or uh, filing charges. So, you know, there's many, many layers to that. Maybe it's relocation, you know, um, but all of these things have to be done strategically when we're talking about the physical safety, because again, everything gets escalated anytime that there's a dramatic or drastic change in patterns and, um, and the behavior of the person who is actually being abused. Yeah. So I think that that's a really, really important uh, question and we really have to think about it that way. And then the other thing that is not going to be a popular opinion, but it is a reality. Most people care about the person that they're in the relationship with. They want the violence to end. We'll say if the person loved you, they wouldn't do that. You know, that kind of language and feedback isn't going to be helpful in the moment because it's just going to cause a disconnect from that person sharing with you. Because at the end of the day, most people just want the violence to end. And that's a hard thing for us to, to grapple with when someone's reaching out for help. Yeah, because the thought I just had really quickly is that the abuser relies on isolation. Right. And so you want to make sure that you are still in contact with that person, that they know that they have you because they really also need you to help them regain their identity. Because right. with the abuser, they're always kind of chipping away at your sense of self, where the sisterhood and the friends come in at is kind of helping them, you know, identify this is who you are. Right. And I believe you. And it's not your fault. So they know that, listen, I if I can get away from this, I'll be OK. Right. Because because I still kind of know who I am and know what I'm capable of, because you tend to forget that when you are in relationships like this and when you were talking, Marquia, I thought about your friend and I thought about the ways that, especially Black women, sometimes we put our personal needs aside in favor of supporting the family, right? And you said she had children with this man. So she might have thought like, what's important right now is the kids, right? And that we are still a family, no matter what that family looks like, we are still an intact family. When we think about, okay, like what can we do? And, you know, Anzala, you gave some really great kind of options but I do want to kind of circle back to the possibility of kind of bringing the justice system in that, in that there's a lot of hesitation for us, right? Because we do tend to put kind of our racial issues ahead of our sex-based issues, right? There's that kind of strong sense of cultural affinity and loyalty to the Black community that kind of sometimes renders us silent because we would rather not bring in the police because there's a possibility that either they can be hurt or they can be killed. And so you talk about, this is a person that I love. So I don't want them to die and I don't want them to be hurt. Again, I just want the violence to stop. Right. So there's all these barriers for us as black women to speaking out and kind of telling our story and getting the necessary help. Cause we have all of these other things that we are worrying about in the process. It's not only our safety that we're worrying about, we're worrying about the safety of our partner as well. So Anisha, you're absolutely right. And when it comes to involving um, the police and that as a remedy and the hesitancy, I remember working with um, a client and, you know, the neighbor actually called the police, right? 
she was upset. She did not want to press charges. And she, in fact, told the police, I'm not pressing charges. And, you know, the police said, well, we don't need you to, right? This is a victimless prosecution. We don't need you. You know, a crime has occurred and, you know, we don't need anything from you. Um, we can take it from here. And the thing that she kept repeating is that I have now contributed to another Black man in the system. He is now going to be part of the system. Um, and, you know, the the physical abuse was was pretty bad. I mean, she was very beaten up, you know, and, and had been in, in that situation, had been being abused for for quite some time. But her top priority was the fact that she felt that she contributed to another black man becoming part of the criminal justice system. So that point that you make cannot be um, underscored enough in the Adnesha and the weight of it. Yeah, definitely. You want, Kim, you want to yeah, I, I was going to say like that just resonated with me so much because, you know, to be willing to take, you know, some really horrific, traumatic kind of things being done to you and to really just silence yourself and to really not think about your own well-being in the midst of, because of someone else, you know, I think that's also culturally how we are conditioned as like girls, right? Just you show up, like take care of this family member or whatever, take care of your family. You could be very young. And I think that's imprinted on us at an early age to be caretakers and to do whatever is needed and to kind of disregard our own well-being sometimes. Absolutely. Which, you know, makes this a really hard conversation to have, right? I wish it was very cut and dry. I wish it was just like, oh, okay, if I'm in an intimate partner violence relationship, then I just go get the help that I need. It's so many other barriers to getting that help that I think that that's what the, where the real conversation is, right? Is that those systemic things that are going on around us, that racism, that sexism, you know, the intersectionality of, of being black and being a woman, how that impacts us on a day-to-day -day basis in ways where we don't even feel like we can protect ourselves, right? Right. That, that you know, makes me very emotional and it, it, it makes me just you know, I, f I feel very hurt by that, that as a black woman, I am thinking first about my partner because I don't want him to, him or her if I was in, you know, in a same sex relationship to, to die, possibly. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I need to protect them. That just shows the weight of this. That's right. That's right. The the weight of it is it's incredible. And, um, you know, this is where being able to cultivate really strong relationships with other women, sisterhood you know, really, you know, that isn't judgmental. It isn't demanding. It isn't prescriptive either, right? So we all, again, when folks come to us for help, we want to be able to help solve the problem, right? We want to feel like, you know, we had purpose in that and that, you know, there was a easy cut and dry outcome and, you know, there was only one choice to make. And it's not that simple. Um, again, the impact and insidiousness of you know, not only the violence itself, but also our uh, social conditioning, our cultural conditioning, and then our social constructs and systems that reinforce all of this. That is a lot to navigate. Imagine just being the, the constant supporter in the survivor's life that, hey, I'm here, I'm listening. I, I can give you resources. I can help make connections for you. I can help take a load off for some of the other things that may or may not be directly related, right? Just just something to take the pressure off of uh, the weight of everything that this uh, individual is going through would, would make and makes all of the difference. And I, I love that. And I think we have to do a better job. I think it's so draining to mm -hmm. be a support 
to someone who's in a situation like that because that's really hard and you and you feel like you feel like you're not that you're physically going through it but just I don't want this for this person in my life and it's just really hard to to not be action oriented or to sit back and just go you know that patience factor it's got to be on 10 or 20 in order for you to really be able to to walk with someone who's going through that kind of life event when you want better for them absolutely and that vicarious trauma is real. So even supporters need to figure out and find ways to keep themselves healthy and whole and healed. Because again, unless we are no longer operating as human beings, our sense of compassion, it will weigh on you as a friend, as a sister as well. So keeping um, yourself healthy and in a, um, a mindset of, you know, I can be a strong supporter, but I also have to take care of myself. That isn't abandoning of your friend, you know, that's also a, a, a key priority. Which is why self-care is so important, that's, right? For that's all right. of us, right? That's so right. we can take care of ourselves in order to possibly help someone else, you know, kind of take care of the, themselves, right? And maybe I can teach you how to do that. But first I have to take care of myself. And I think that sometimes I know as a black woman, I never even heard of self-care in my life growing up. It wasn't something that was talked about. There was, it was never about me, it felt like, right? Like it was about the things that I had to do. It was never about the things that I wanted to do. And I think that now as an adult, like, and probably only in the last five to 10 years that I'm really able to talk about self-care with friends and how do we take care of each other has become so much more important to me. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think that comes from my sisterhood, right? The sisterhood that I have with the amazing women in my life. Absolutely, absolutely. So do you guys have any kind of closing remarks, Kim or Marquia, Anzala, before we kind of um, get out of here? Um, I think it's really great that we have this conversation. Um, it's a tough topic, right? And of course, in the Black community, especially, we don't talk about things at home. We are not allowed to to put this, put our business out there. So hopefully with this conversation, you know, it'll make people feel more comfortable at least reaching out for help or finding support or doing something to, you know, make their situation better or allow them to be a better ally or support system. Yeah, I think, you know, whatever the resources are that you can access, go and do it, you know, find the people who are in your life that won't judge you, that you can talk to, because that's a really hard thing. People are so judgmental and it's hard to like, you know, truth tell sometimes because it feels really it feels awful because it feels like you're doing something wrong and you can't get to your healing until you do and wholeness. And thank you for mentioning that, Anzala, because that's that's a lot about what, you know, Black Woman Be Whole is about. And I think just really for anyone that's in a situation, reach out to the people you feel safest with. Right. Absolutely. I would say key things are to affirm whomever is trusting you with their hard and traumatic life experience, affirm them, and then also affirm yourself to, you know, be on deck with some resources. There are hotlines, there are anon anonymous hotlines, there are statewide hotlines, there are, um, you know, national hotlines and text and chat sessions where someone can just share, you know, they don't know the individual and sometimes just offloading that way is, is helpful. And, you know, just be consistent in reminding them, reminding them that uh, it is not their fault and they are not responsible for the abuse that they are experiencing, you know, is just a key part of that sisterhood. Yeah. And we all definitely include those resources in the show notes. 
Um, so before we get out of here, Anzala, we have something called the last hurrah, where I ask you some questions have, that have nothing to do with what we talked about today. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so the first question is, what is your favorite 90s jam? Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. I'm my taking favorite. it back to the 90s. This is how Markia. we do it. it, it. It, this is how we do it. Okay. <laughs> That's one of them. That was the first one that came to mind. But yeah, I love 90s music. Look, we could do 90s music all day long. And so since we're past our 50th episode, I would ask this in the beginning episode. So I'm going to ask it to you today. Have you ever dined and dashed? No. <laughs> I'm clutching my pearls right now. I love it. <laughs> Heavens to Megatroy. Okay. When I was asked that question, I didn't dine and dash either. It's like, oh, that's just, that's not what we do. I've done it. I'm like, people, wait, people do that. I may have to try that. It might have to be on my bucket list. <laughs> I've done it because they took so long with the bill. It was just like, when is he coming back? Like, oh, this is enough. Is, and we were sitting outside. So, you know, it made it real easy. He was like, see the lawyer in me comes in and says, no, that was a complimentary meal. You didn't have to dash. They just, that was gratuitous. I love that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I've never dined and dashed either. You didn't ask me that. Ooh, no, but ooh, ooh, no, that's bad karma. It's very ghetto. It's It's just very, it's bad karma. We are not using the G word. Okay. Okay. okay, All right. My friend actually said you should say suburban. (laughs) That is very suburban. Well, you know, hey, because the suburbs are lame. I'm a seagull. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's that's a good one. But no, I have not dined and dashed. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for taking the time out of your very, very busy day, your very busy week to be here with us to talk about something that is so important that is impacting the lives of women all over the country, but is also, you know. Put, um, impacting the lives of Black women in a very different way. So um, I do appreciate you being here. And so the way that I normally sign out, we're living in a pandemic. So stay safe, wash your hands, and wear your damn mask. <laughs> and we will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to bewellpsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's bewellpsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.